Remix, y'all! Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Bonus hi, bonus hello, bonus how are you? Welcome to a bonus episode of the Rasafari Podcast, or as I'm calling it, Rasafari Remix. All right, y'all. So this was a very last minute idea that I had, but I'm really excited about it. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, this stems from two different things that happened in the last three days coming together and and giving me this idea. The first is actually a really sad one. Um, Angela Dittmar, a costumer who uh, worked with me on Million Dollar Quartet for a while, uh, passed away very unexpectedly on Thursday, April 22nd. I was devastated when I found out um, because I just have so many great memories of this incredible unique woman. Uh, she was just, just the coolest. And I won't, I won't bore you with all the details here, but the world lost a real good one yesterday, y'all. And, um, I'm devastated. And what do I do when I'm devastated? I throw myself into work and creating, but since drumming with people isn't really an option quite yet, I thought I would turn to my other art, my podcast and, and do something. Uh, and when I thought of what I should do, I wanted to find a way to, to spread some joy because that is something that Angela did all the freaking time. And also, uh, you know, just kind of share something more personal and maybe a little different with y'all. And that brings us to the two days before Angela passed, uh, which I happened to spend finally hanging out with recent guest Emily Begay. Not as recent guest, but huge force on the podcast, Danny Poirier, now Danny Poirier Larson, and uh, visiting not only Roger Williams Park Zoo, but finally getting to go to Southwick's Zoo, the zoo that has been on my podcast so many times and I've never made it there. It was an incredible trip. As a matter of fact, the only negative thing that I can say about that entire trip, and especially my time with Emily and Danny, because they are as good as advertised, y'all, um, is that I was thinking about the fact that, ah, I wish, I wish that I had visited before releasing Emily's episode, and I also wish that I could have had the knowledge that I now have back when I made Danny's episode. And then it hit me. It's time to do a remix. So we are going to take some clips today. We're going to take them from Danny's episode. We're going to take them from Emily's episode. And I've even included some of what Danny added to Rossafari After Dark. But don't worry. This isn't just a best of kind of show. Instead, what I've done is I play the clip for a while, then put in a little record scratch. So, you know, that's the end of the interview part. And then share a story about it. It can be a commentary, it can be about my experience at Southwick's, but uh, I'm bringing some new perspective to an older and more recent interview, and I'm really excited about it. 
I wanted to come up with a quick way to delineate when we were going from one section of interview to another one, and I didn't want to have to play the transition music like 12 times during this. So I just wanted something quick. So uh, if you hear a particularly funny noise from a recent episode, then you will know that it is the start of the next segment. So if you haven't checked out Emily's episode yet, and if you haven't checked out Danny's episode or Rossafari After Dark yet, well, you're going to hear some of those highlights and, and probably be inspired to go check out the whole thing. And if you have listened to them, well, you know, these podcasts are kind of long and we say a lot of things. I'm sure that you are going to uh, hear some old things for the first time, plus get a bunch of new content from me. There is some factual stuff, there's some silly stuff, and uh, frankly, there's just... Me being in awe of the incredible birds and humans that I know and love at Southwick's Zoo. Let's get to it. Give everybody a reminder of who you are. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Danny Poirier, and I'm the curator of birds and training at Southwick Zoo. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I am. Today, we are here to talk about uh, sexy time with birds. <laughs> So, uh, I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> My first story bird that I wanted to tell everyone about is this hyacinth macaw named Benjamin. We call him Ben. Um, for those who don't know what hyacinth macaws are, they're the largest macaw species in the world. And they're just these big, giant blue birds. They're huge, about like two to three pounds on average, which for birds is pretty big. Um, but the ones that we take care of at the zoo are sort of big softies. Like they're just the absolute best and everybody pretty much falls in love with them instantly just because they're so intrinsically beautiful. You just walk up to them and you're like, Oh my God, that's a bird. They're huge. They're so gorgeous. And people just kind of instantly fall in love. So uh, Ben, our male hyacinth macaw has been at the zoo for 25 years i want to say he was hatched at the zoo so he's been around people his whole life and he he works like some serious magic when it comes to interacting with people and so he kind of like picks up on people who fall in love with him instantly and ever since i first started at the zoo i was told right off the bat that he always falls in love with the new girl like right away. And it's, it's usually always a lady. Um, and I have have friends who are like that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you do. Oh yeah. (laughs) So he pretty much sees the lady and just instantly falls in love. He did it to me when I first started, I've seen him do it to interns time and time again. And so he's just so funny. He sits out on exhibit in a big open space and we bring him back in at the end of the day. So the best way I explain Ben to new people when they come around is like, he already fell in love with you at first sight. Um, But what's really funny is I went to bring him out to exhibit one day and I had him on a golf cart on a tea perch, which sounds kind of funny, but that's how we bring him out to exhibit. He's trained to basically ride on a tea perch on a golf cart and he doesn't fly. He's really not good at it. He doesn't have his wings clipped or anything, but he just never really fledged, learned how to fly from his parents. So he's just this big blueberry that we cart around on the tea (laughs) perch and he's great. Um, So I went to bring him out onto exhibit one day and we have to stop at the end of the road and cross the street into the zoo. Cause where we house the birds is across the street and no 
no lie, this woman was just going to pass. Like we had to go over this like speed bump to get to the other side where the zoo is. And this woman was just like on the main road and she was going over the speed bump. So I waited for her to pass and she saw us. And usually people are like really flabbergasted when they see this like big, beautiful bird on a golf cart, like with a zookeeper. It's like the weirdest thing. And she stops dead in her tracks, which I was like, okay, yeah, I have a bird. And she is in this like, what do they call it? A convertible. So like the tops down and she's got these like big glasses. She's like this attractive middle-aged woman. And she looks out over her shoulder and she goes, Ben. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I looked at her and I was like, uh, and she's like, Hey Ben, Hey buddy. And for anyone who knows Hyacinth McCaws or who works with them, he just immediately started working the charm. They do this thing where they're like, their feathers get kind of puffy and they just like, they'll look back and forth. Like their heads will just tilt from side to side. So he starts doing his little like charming side to side head look at her. And I could have been on fire. She wasn't even looking at me. Like (laughs) she was just so immersed in Ben and he was just kind of like flirting with her from far away. And she's, she, finally she makes eye contact with me and she says to me, Oh, I know Ben, we go way back. And then she drove off and my jaw was like to the floor. I was just like, who is this woman? How did she know Ben? And it was just the funniest thing. She could have just been a zoo fan or maybe a volunteer that I didn't know, or a family friend from like way back in the day. But like I said, to this day, it's still a mystery. I have no idea who this woman is. And so I always tell people that story when they first meet Ben because they love him instantly and I'm like oh trust me he loves you instantly too and then I tell the story about this mystery woman who showed up in a convertible who was just absolutely like in awe of him it's a good so thing that the was... boy can't fly might have might have ditched you you know Traded oh yeah up in the he would have been like bye <laughs> and another thing that's funny about that because he always likes the new girl I'm like last on his list of tolerable humans <laughs> So when I ask Ben to come out and step onto the tea bridge for me, the first thing I have to do is ask everybody in the room to peace out. Everybody has to leave so that Ben is not tempted to say no to me. And then I kind of like worked it. I mean, he's, he's trained to step up and he, the thing with him is he, if he chooses, like if he, if he trains us and says, no, I'm only going to step up for this one person, then it'll make our jobs really difficult. And for a brand new person who has never handled a bird before to ask them to handle a hyacinth macaw is just like, it's not, it's not in, it's not in the cards. So this is actually the story that made me decide to do this remix episode. When I got to the zoo, Ben was out on exhibit. And something that wasn't mentioned about Ben in this story is that Benjamin really hates rain. And shortly after uh, Emily and I arrived at the zoo, it very unexpectedly and very not forecastedly started raining hard. So Emily and I quickly thought, oh, we should run back and see how Ben's doing. Now, this is where it gets interesting. See, Ben's exhibit has a small little roof over a small part of it that he's able to hide under when the rain starts. But because this was a potentially bad thunderstorm and because the rain was going to come flying in at an angle, he really needed to be taken off exhibit. The problem is that with Ben not liking getting wet, it was going to be hard for Danny, who was working that day, to convince Ben to get on the tea perch and get into the golf cart because he was going to have to get wet to do all of that before going back to his nice dry barn. 
And as Danny mentioned, she's basically his least favorite person right now because she is not the new girl and and has not been the new girl for a long time. So what was going to happen? Emily actually said to me, oh, this might get interesting seeing Danny try to coax him onto the tea perch. About two minutes after that, Danny comes roaring up to the area on her golf cart. And in the passenger seat is Bella, another keeper who is newer to the zoo and doesn't work in the department all the time. That's right, y'all. Danny brought a new girl. Danny quickly hopped out of the golf cart and ran over and unlocked the uh, entrance to the exhibit and then handed the tea perch to Bella and disappeared. I, I was standing right there. I literally don't know where she went. But the good news is, neither did Ben. And seeing his relatively new girl, he did not care about the rain anymore. He hopped out, he started preening, and jumped right on the tea perch. Bella was then able to get him into the golf cart, and they got him safely back to the barn before the storm could get any worse. It's, it's stories like this that I love so much because they just illustrate, like, it's one thing to have knowledge and an understanding of an animal, but the ability to quickly and efficiently apply it is something that always amazes me. And Danny absolutely killed it by having Bella be the one to go and get him. I was, I was very impressed seeing that in action. Poop story. And, and you have such an environment there where you feel comfortable, like, literally looking at your boss and being like, hey, have you thought of this? I'm definitely still a novice, like I said, and if she's hitting a roadblock, I don't think that I'm going to be the one that she's going to be like, what should I do? But it's definitely uh, collaborative. Y'all know I love talking about good leadership and good mentorship, and um, I just thought this was really cool. I just had to sprinkle this in here. Um, Danny made a point to tell Emily that she had completely shortchanged herself in this conversation. She made it a point to remind Emily of one specific instance that happened recently where Emily made a suggestion that uh, Danny had not thought of and that instantly solved the situation. And then she also made it a point to point out that this was not the only time this has happened recently. This happens a lot. Emily's doing a great job. I just think it's so cool to see that kind of relationship and and know that that's out there. And I want to encourage anyone who is in a leadership position to remember that we can... Uh, we can really go out of our way to lift people up who are, are working for us. I don't even like calling it that, but, but who report to us, whatever you want to say, and, um, and can really help, you know, help them work on their imposter syndrome. And we can dive, you know, deep into operant conditioning and the different types of or the different methods and things like that. But the one that we really do focus on a lot in my department is positive reinforcement. Um, and so, you know, this is a topic where we're saying we're going to give an animal something for doing something that we like. So anytime they do something we like, we give them something that they like in return. And this helps us form those strong relationships with them. And then like going back to like what I said before, being their safety blanket, they're going to want to be with us because they know that we not only have the good treats, but we have a really well-established relationship with them. It's not always just about the food and what they're getting to stay near us. Okay, so obviously this was the moment that operant conditioning became a thing on this podcast, and it has been discussed in Danny's episode, Emily's episode. We did a huge breakdown of it in the National Aviary episode, and if you watch Danny's Ross Safari Live, which is available on my Instagram, 
she just goes into a ton of detail about it, right? Operant conditioning, it, it's come up, and not just about birds. We've talked about it in uh, cheetah episodes and all kinds of stuff. Danny and Emily are both quite obsessed with operant conditioning and talk about it frequently. And I'm also really intrigued by the whole idea and trying to really get a great grasp on it, um, mainly just so I can understand what those two goobers are talking about when we're all chatting. Uh, no, because it's actually really cool. But so um, I just wanted to point out that uh, Emily and I were wandering the mall at one point while I was visiting up there. And uh, we went into a very silly conversation, but it was all about operant conditioning. And we were debating whether something that had just happened was an example of um, a negative reward or a positive punishment. We then rehashed the conversation with Danny later in the evening. So, um, yeah, that's my life now. Poop story. And this is, like I said, a carnivorous bird. They have a unique way of killing their prey. So they usually will slam it up against a stone or a rock to kill it and stun it and then swallow it, which is really, (laughs) really attractive. (laughs) Um, and so our male red-legged Sariema, his name is Pongo, he's trained to do this behavior with a rubber snake because out in the wild they'll kill all sorts of smaller prey, including some reptiles and snakes, and they're known to kill venomous coral snakes as well, which is really cool. Um, but he's trained to do this, and so he's just the coolest bird. I mean, he was really well, we didn't, we didn't have him since he was a chick. He was just really well socialized when he was younger before he came to us. And so he's just so curious. He'll walk around on his exhibit and just kind of do his thing. And people will just look at him and be like, huh, I've never seen that before. And if we're up there cleaning, you know, we'll tell people all about him. And they just have so many questions because he just walks around with this big, like kind of zest for life and curiosity. We kind of joke that he's a dog trapped in a bird's body. (laughs) He's just the coolest thing. I can, in fact, confirm that Pongo is the coolest thing. Um, It's really amazing to watch him do the behavior where he slams a snake on the ground. Uh, Like Danny said, it is a rubber snake, although, man, it is really realistic looking. I definitely did not look like an idiot by asking Emily if they were using a real snake because I'm smarter than that. I know how conservation works. I'm an educator. Anyway, uh, but we did get to watch Danny illustrate this behavior, or I should say have Pongo illustrate the behavior for a group of school children. Now, I have seen a lot of kids see a lot of things at a zoo, and if if 50% of them are paying attention, you're doing a good job. But when Pongo was doing his thing, every kid was absolutely fascinated, even though it was very clearly a rubber snake and no one would think otherwise especially not an adult male conservation podcast host shut up emily um so you keep talking about your 15 but really 18 parrots and um and i believe the word you used was citizen is that correct am i saying that correctly yes oh look at me being all smart and sciencey does that just mean parrot (laughs) yes yeah so that it's just kind of the family name okay cool Mm -hmm. it's just how how the the you guys you guys you cool kids make it make it sound better (laughs) citizen i like that all right cool starts with a p too (laughs) oh okay nice nice yeah even fancier (laughs) so tell me about your citizens are they good citizens? Oh, bad citizens. Oh, I, wow. That I was apologize. a really good one. No, I loved it. <laughs> I'm going to use that one later. 
Danny is still so proud of the fact that she taught me the word citizen and brings it up frequently when we are chatting about things. And uh, rightly so, she did. Uh, confession time, though. She included the word in her pre-interview questionnaire, and I had no freaking clue what it meant. So I Googled it, and then I Googled how to say it, and I listened to a couple different recordings, and I practiced a lot. So that whole thing that you just heard where it sounded like I had had learned the word citizen by her saying it twice, and I, I understood it. It, it it was a lie. She did teach it to me. Danny gets full credit for that, but um, I didn't want to look like a total loser, so I, I Googled it, and now I feel the need to confess that to all of you, and especially to Danny, who is going to give me so much crap about it. Poop story. Tell me about some of your birds. Sure, yeah. I would love to. Um, I have come a long way in two years, I would say, you know, it does take a long time to establish those relationships. So the birds, most of them certainly did not like me when I first started, uh, but you kind of work your way from there. Um, I've been working really closely with the parrot species, getting comfortable with handling and their behaviors and learning a lot about training. Obviously, Danny is just like one of the best resources ever to learn about training. Um, and then practicing shows and obviously interacting with the public as well with keeping it educational. We don't like to say that we have favorites. <laughs> but you do. And I know who your favorites are. So uh, can't, can't lie to me. There are birds that I enjoy working with very much so. <laughs> They're called your favorites, yes. <laughs> your words, not mine. Fair, fair. <laughs> but little Ernie, our male eclectus parrot, has my heart. He is just the sweetest boy, and he has the coolest vocals ever. And it's definitely so fun to have him out in front of the public and he does, he does a fire truck noise and it is just a showstopper. People's jaws hit the floor when he does his fire truck noise. <laughs> it is really adorable. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, that, I've seen the video. It's quite good. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John. What, like you didn't think I was going to get you that audio? Here you go. Where's the fire? Okay, we need to hear that one more time. Where's the fire? And now Ernie's got your heart too, doesn't he? All right, back to the interview. So tell, tell me a little bit more about Ernie. Like, what's his personality like? And, and why, is, why is Ernie clearly not your favorite because you don't have those, but the parrot <laughs> that has your heart? <laughs> Y'all, I have now not only met Ernie, but I have seen Emily interact with Ernie. Ernie is her favorite. I don't care how much we had fun saying it. He is her favorite boy, and it is adorable. Emily lights up the second that we see Ernie in the room. And the best part of this was Ernie was actually the last bird that we got to on the tour. And Emily was so excited. She was like a little kid. As we got closer, she kept moving ahead. And as Danny was introducing me to different birds and like showing me different things, Emily initially stayed right with us. But then as we got closer to Ernie, she was like one enclosure further than us, then two enclosures. And she kept kind of ducking back and then going over closer to Ernie. It was it was really adorable. 
I mean, look, I know that she's not allowed to say he's her favorite, but um, all I'm going to say is get yourself a partner that looks at you the way that Emily looks at Ernie. All right, let's hear more about that citizen now. So Ernie uh, is a former pet, like many of our birds are, and his past family did such a wonderful job of socializing him. And he just really, really loves people and just being around us. We are definitely his strongest reinforcers. Um, And I I guess I can tell you the origin story of that fire truck noise, actually. So he grew up in a family with a young boy and the family lived down the street from a fire station. And so the boy naturally had fire truck themed everything. So he had fire truck toys everywhere, stuffed animal or stuffed animals, stuffed plushies, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and obviously toys as well. And so when they took in Ernie, that became his favorite toy as well. They had a little fire truck toy that made the siren noise and he would sit on top of the fire truck and ride around the house on it. And so obviously the fire truck became very important to Ernie. So he learned to mimic the sound of it because it was important to him. And thus the fire truck noise was born. (laughs) Have you guys gotten Ernie a fire truck yet? I did. Yes. Oh, and I like that. It wasn't you guys. It was that Emily got Ernie a fire truck. (laughs) I was, I was so excited. So my parents actually went to um, Ocean State Jabwa, which is, I think that's a regional thing. Um, but they, I told them, you know, if, you, if you're going, keep an eye out for just a cheap little fire truck toy because it would be really nice to just have one around. And uh, they found one and they purchased it and I brought it right to the zoo. They <laughs> was so excited for this beautiful moment. I thought Ernie was going to lay eyes on this fire truck and make his fire truck noise. <laughs> And I was going to burst into tears and it was just going to be like so emotional, but it didn't quite happen that way, but he does love it. We'll give him some time on his fire truck from time to time. So, okay. So I feel like in the talking about all the other cool stuff that we didn't really, uh, fully explain how freaking adorable Ernie on a fire truck is, but, um, it's freaking adorable. Uh, I, I got to to see him riding on his fire truck, and and Danny literally put the fire truck down, put Ernie on the fire truck. It has lights that go, and um, as he went for his ride, he was bopping up and down, just literally bobbing up and down, so happy, so excited. Um, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast, and, and Danny has brought up a lot about like reading a bird's body language, and um, you know, sometimes reading an animal's body language is definitely a chore or a challenge or something that you have to study to learn how to do. But anybody could have looked at Ernie and seen that he was having an amazing time on his fire truck. Yeah, sure. I'll definitely talk a whole lot about my buddy Russell Crow. The one and only. <laughs> um, yeah, so Russell, I adore this bird. He's an African pied crow. I've been in his life almost from the very beginning. We got him when he was about, I want to say, like six weeks old. He's recall trained, which a lot of birds are. So it just means he flies to my hand on cue or flies down to a perch on cue. We've worked on A to B's in our show arena where he just flies from point A to point B. So whether that's a perch on the stage to the top of the bleachers and back down, um, 
he's learning to play nice with others. It's it doesn't really happen very well, so he's <laughs> not ready for our shows quite yet. So that's another challenge is I'm the only person who can work with him free contact. So everybody else can only work with him through protected contact and we've had to kind of modify how we work and handle with him based on that sole fact. You know, he gets created through protected contact and brought out onto exhibit protected contact and it's a big challenge, but these are all the things that we've learned with our good friend Russell Crowe, all these problems that we've learned to solve based on his behavior. So really, we're just understanding his behavior a little bit better and then matching that with the training skills that we've developed over the years. Um, I've taught him how to paint. So he is trained to swipe a paintbrush on a canvas and then we're able to sell those paintings, you know, to raise money for conservation efforts. I've also... Um, trained in the very beginning we were working with my colleague on a voluntary injection training where he'll stick his head uh, through his cage bars for head scratches so he's not only ever just motivated for food it's usually for some form of affection or love or attention and he loves head scratches so he would hold still for head scratches while we poked him with we were using a toothpick in the beginning and then we of course work up to a needle um so that was really amazing to work on that. And of course, it's really important training. Um, and oh, what else have I done with Russell? Oh, just like so much problem solving. He's such a problem child, but <laughs> we've, we've, been, we've been making some good steady progress. So Progress with Russell is absolutely undeniable. He is an incredible animal and... Um, it you know there's such a cool familiarity uh he has a couple phrases uh that he says including what are you doing and um i didn't know that actually and when i went up to to meet russell i walked up and i was like hi russell what are you doing and he goes what are you doing and i was like that okay that was just amazing it was just it was the coolest thing um you know, Danny in her full episode, I only cut a little bit of this for this, but um, talks a lot about how she's the only one that can work with him uh, free contact and how when she started training him, um, it was a challenge because uh, Corvids are not the kind of bird that you want to start with as a trainer. A lot of the times they're very hard to train and you have to do it really well. Um, so because of that, it was really, really cool to just see Russell in person and see how absolutely incredible he is and how amazing his training is and how amazing the work that they've done with him is, especially uh, the work Danny does, um, including, like she said, painting. And I have a Russell Crowe painting hanging above me right now. Poop story. So what do you think it is? Because, you know, I know that y'all have your favorite, I'm sorry, your heart (laughs) birds. Um, it's really hard to not just say the word favorites when that's what we mean, but that's okay. Um, but you all, you know, every keeper there has animals that they're more connected to. And I'm curious as to why you think that is, because it's, it's all the same animals and it's so interesting. Um, you know, for my listeners, I'll say that, that Danny and Emily and I have a little text thread going and it is so much fun and so ridiculous, but it is really amazing to me to see how even just in those private moments, um, the conversations tend to focus on different birds from different people. And like, you're all working with the same birds. You're all in the same room. When you send me video, whoever's filming, I see the other one in the video. Like <laughs> you're right there, but you get a completely different connection with different animals. And I'm curious why you think that is. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's one of the things that draws me and so many other people to birds is because they have huge personalities and they are such individuals and not that other animals aren't, but, um, they just have huge, huge personalities. And, um, you can kind of at, from time to time, see some of yourself in some of the birds. And so, um, I think you, you have those small moments with these birds and it's just like, wow, they are thinking just like we do and they're making decisions and acting on their environment. And, um, Hey, that's what I would have done or, Oh, Hey, that's totally surprising to me. That's like really cool that you did that. (laughs) And they just, they always surprise you. I think that's really what it is. It's just like, wow, I didn't even think that you, that's where your mind was going, but they're just so intelligent. Y'all, I experienced it in the room too. Uh, For me, it was Russell Crowe. I fell so madly in love with that bird. And I think that part of it is the surprise element that Emily was talking about. Russell, in my mind, has been a pure black crow. But he's not. He has this amazing white plumage. It almost looks like he's wearing a shirt. And I just, I don't know, it was unexpected. And he saw me and I saw him. And it was like no other bird in that room existed. And I have to tell you, that room is not quiet. Every other bird wanted to let me know that they existed. But I just looked at Russell and I fell in love. And... um As I was meeting some birds before Russell, and then after we walked away, I kept glancing back. Even when I was hanging out with with some of the names that you're hearing on this podcast, like like our buddy Ernie and and, uh, Benjamin and stuff, I just kept looking over at Russell. And from what Danny explained from his behaviors, it looked like Russell was getting jealous and wanted to hang out with me too. I don't know what that connection is, but we just fell in love with each other. And, and it was, it was amazing. Russell Crowe is one of my all time favorite animals now. And I would have never expected that of a crow, uh, before starting this podcast. And we also have a laughing kookaburra. And this, this is, she's probably one of my favorites. Ha, see, told you they have favorites. Okay, let's get back to the kookaburra. I actually don't even know that she's a she. We kind of just say that. They're not super easily sexually dimorphic. You can't super tell them apart, males from females. So um, I actually hand raised her a couple years ago, three years ago now at this point. And that's, that's kind of a long story, but she was a, a surprise, a surprise challenge that was kind of just bestowed upon me. And I just had to figure out how to raise a <laughs> young kookaburra. You, uh, you, you know like what question's <laughs> coming. How do you get an unexpected kookaburra? Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, t- okay. I'll tell the full story. So, <laughs> so our kookaburras actually had a clutch of three in 2017. Uh, these are our kookaburras in the zoo that were on exhibit. Our department actually didn't take care of them at the time, still don't take care of them, but they had chicks. And I kind of just joked around with our head hoofstock keeper saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like we raised one for our shows? And 
you know, we both kind of brushed it off. It was kind of just a joke. But over, you know, the course of the next week or so, one of the kookaburras unfortunately had passed away, just wasn't getting enough food. I don't know if there was a an issue early on. And there was another one that was developing really well. And then the second one was just not at quite the same level as the other one, probably being one of them was being favored by the parents. The other one was just really malnourished and just not developing very well. And so that same host doc keeper came up to me like uh, this random day and said, yeah, so I think that you should take this kookaburra. It is very malnourished and I don't think it's probably, it's probably not going to survive if the parents raise it. So you should take it and raise it and see if you can see what you can do. (laughs) I was kind of just thrown for a loop. I had never done that before. Um, Nobody at my facility had ever done it either. So I'm lucky that I know a couple people at other facilities who gave me lots of really great information. I gathered all the information and like over the course of three hours throughout my day. And then at the end of the day, we went in, we pulled her from the nest, we put her right in an incubator. And I just had this really malnourished kookaburra chick that I had to just try to keep alive. And so it was a, it was a really crazy task, but I, I did it. <laughs> Somehow That's I awesome. did it. I, I remember, oh, thank you. I remember driving home with her. I took her home with me just so I could monitor her overnight, driving home with her in an incubator and this massive hailstorm hits Menden and I'm driving down the street, can't see two inches in front of me. I have this really like vulnerable bird, this little chick in my back seat in an incubator. I'm just dying to get home to plug it in and make sure she's okay. And it was just a disaster. It was a crazy day. And, you know, over the course of the next few weeks, I was just feeding her, just kind of mirroring what the parents were feeding the other one. So I was kind of lucky in that sense, uh, giving her some extra nutritional supplements that our veterinarian recommended. And, she just kind of developed over time. And it was this awesome starting, you know, I was able to train her from the very beginning, which was, you know, I was grateful that I had a, a lot of training skills at that point and could kind of teach her to fly to my hand pretty early on when she was fledging. But it was such a cool experience. And so Kinta is now three years old and thriving and she's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> so you said uh, before we started recording that you're getting married soon, correct? Yes. Well, first I am. of all, congratulations. Second Thank of all, you so much. does he know what he's getting into? That at any <laughs> point, a random bird may just be brought yeah. home. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. So we actually met at the zoo. Oh, okay. Uh, nice. So he's he's very very familiar with my life <laughs> and my passions, and he's very supportive. But yeah, he. He totally just at this point doesn't really ask questions. <laughs> I could show up with something and it would just, you know, it just is what it is. <laughs> hey, babe, there's a, there's an emu in the uh, in the, the bathroom tonight. Oh, OK, thanks. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a dream. <laughs> yeah. So obviously getting to see the bird that Danny's first episode was named after was amazing. Kinta is incredible. And seeing this little perfect kookaburra that uh danny raised was just so cool she's also super super chill um i oftentimes when i will get up closer to a uh, enclosure with a kookaburra you can tell they'll get a little tense or whatever um 
Kinta did not. She was very, very comfortable. Of course, she did frequently start making her amazing laughing vocalization, but every single time I pulled out my phone to record it, she instantly looked at me and stopped. That girl has clearly gotten some attitude from her foster mother, Danny, so uh, I appreciated that. Also, as a side note to this, um, I was talking to Danny about having some emus running around there, and uh, one of the first things I saw her doing was taking care of seven baby emus that she's now uh, in charge of. They're not in her bathtub, but uh, dreams do come true, y'all. Poop story. So, like... If hypothetically a, you know, high paying donor or a really cool podcast host came and met some of the birds because they're so well trained with so many different people because of, you know, working with keepers and interns and all that stuff. Are there birds that are would be good to just like hang out with the person right away or or, you know, are there some that would and some that wouldn't? And and how does that work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um I think that it's situational to a degree where we would kind of gauge that specific interaction with that given bird. Um, But there are definitely uh, birds that just don't like men. (laughs) And then unfortunately that's a reality. And then there are other birds in our flock that love men, especially tall men. And um, so we have to be cognizant of their history with people. Um, but we definitely wouldn't ever let a, you know, someone who isn't working with the birds just kind of come in and start giving them treats or anything like that. It's definitely something that, um, you have to do a lot of work to build up that relationship before that even happens. (laughs) This was actually just another kind of really cool thing to see. Um, so it turns out that some really cool podcast hosts did get to go and, and see these birds. Um, but despite the fact that uh, Emily and Danny know that I, you know, meet a lot of animals, and despite the fact that, that Danny and Emily and I are all real good friends and get along really well, all of this was incredibly controlled. Uh, Danny had the treats, and unlike with most mammals that I meet, it, it stayed that way. She did the, the work. She did the behaviors. I had some amazing experiences, but I have never felt like a keeper was in more control and that I was just clearly there to observe than being in that bird room. And at least anyone think that... Uh, that that sounds like I'm bummed out or didn't have a great time. No, no, no. It just shows how incredible um, the focus that these guys have on their birds and what's best for the birds and the overall interactions is because, I mean, I had a dream of a time. It was incredible. Uh, and, you know, I didn't need to be handing out little treats to birds when other people work months and years to build those relationships. So um, I just thought that was really interesting that you know, we talked about it and I was kind of like, yeah, but you guys know me. But then in the room, it was very much like, nope. And I just really respected that. Um, yeah, cool. So uh, I would like to take a minute now to ask you if you have anyone or anything that you would like to give a shout out to. Sure. I mean, Southwick Zoo has a TikTok now. Oh my goodness. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and follow Southwick Zoo on TikTok. 
I would like to point out that Southwick Zoo got a TikTok one day after Rasafari <laughs> launched the Rasafari TikTok. Well, Is this a coincidence? You know, maybe your influence goes farther than you know. <laughs> Danny made it be known, and I quote, John, it is important, or maybe not important, that you know that the timing of Southwick Zoo's TikTok was entirely coincidental. I swear. Our operations manager approached me about managing the zoo TikTok like the day after you made yours. I swear to God. So yeah, Danny is the one running the TikTok that started the day after I started mine. She can say whatever she wants. We all know the truth. The Rasafari TikTok inspired Danny to start the Southwick Zoo TikTok. And if it is said on a podcast, it must be true. Well, there we have it, folks. The first ever Rasafari Remix bonus episode. I hope y'all really enjoyed it because, uh, man, I certainly did. It was fun hanging out with these friends even after I was done hanging out with these friends. And um, maybe the best part of this is the fact that I did not tell Danny or Emily that I was going to do this. Uh, I just went ahead and did it. So, um, hey, friends, surprise. I hope you enjoyed this and that we're still friends. Eh, it's probably fine. Anyway, don't forget to check out Southwick's Zoo. Their website is southwickszoo.com, and they're also at Southwick's Zoo on Instagram. You can find Danny Poirier Larson on Instagram at Danny Poirier, and that's D-A-N-I, and Emily Begay at Emily Begay. Real creative, y'all. Real creative. All righty, and guess what? I also recorded some brand new Steiderk. Hit it! The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.